0: Yeah, there we go, perfect. Good afternoon now, good afternoon. How are we all this morning? We all doing good? Yeah, we all awake? Good, because I'm going to start with a game, so if you're not awake, you're going to hate me this morning. Right, I want everyone to put their hands up as high as they can go. Everyone, and I mean everyone. Up, come on. Yep, you, Stuart, in the back, go on. Right, I'm going to play a game. Now, if the question doesn't apply to you, put your hands down. Very simple. Let's start easy. Keep your hands up if you've ever had a job. Mostly everyone, right? Most people have had a job. Now, next question, keep your hands up. If in your job you've had to do training, either training someone or being a trainee, keep your hands up. Still quite a lot of people. Now you can put your hands down. Now, I want to say a few things about training, and then I'll pray. Now, a few things I want to say about teaching and training someone would be that I am notoriously bad at it. And I mean terrible. Like, you don't want me to train someone. And I'll tell you why. I live up here. If you know me, I live in my head. I can't train someone because when I learn a technique, I master it, and then I shut off. I learned the technique, I can do it well enough that I can turn my brain off and be like, alright, I'll just do it, and I'll turn my brain back off when I'm finished. So when someone expects me to train them, my brain's off. So trying to train someone when your brain off doesn't work. Not as effectively as it should. And then the second thing I noticed, and this is my own personal opinion, I want to throw that out to begin with, is that teaching or training someone is much easier when you do a shadow or follow technique rather than speaking at them. An example of this would be painting. Right? You could tell someone, go and paint that wall, but if you show them the effective ways of using different paint brushes, or different ways of different stroking techniques, like Phil taught me when I used to paint with him, you will get the job done much more effectively. So, this classroom routine can work. Speaking over someone can work. But in my opinion, it is much easier to show someone rather than speaking over someone. Now, I work in care, right? So I work in a care home. And when I turned up to the care home, they gave me all these rules, you can't do this, you can't do that, you got to wear this, you got to wear that. And that was great. And on my first shift, I did something that wasn't against the rules, but to co-workers, it was frowned upon. So... It's these hidden rules that you can only learn through shadowing or following that someone could tell you, but until you've done it, until you've seen it, you won't know them. Now I'm going to pray, all right? We'll come back to this game, don't you worry. All right. Dear Father God, I want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for being in your presence. God, I pray for safety for the rest of the week, that you would bring safety to the people in the congregation, Lord. Lord. I pray that the weeks would go smoothly and, God, that you would be in that. Lord, I pray for the wider church. I pray for the world right now as fires continue and, Lord, as hunger and poverty continues, Lord, that you would be in that too, that you would be in this building with these people today, with this church, but also where you would be with the wider world. In your name, amen. So I'm going to read John 1, 29 to 42, and we'll begin. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for, I ex- for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been but I have baptized, I have, I have been baptized with water so that I might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, The one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify, He is the chosen one of God. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As, as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. John looked around, Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see, Jesus said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying... And they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was the one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, when I was messaging Jacob back and forth, Jacob asked me to preach. We were trying to, like, kind of nail some dates, and he gave me this passage. And I didn't really think much of it. I was like, it's a good passage. I know it rarely, like, semi-well. kind of read over it, was praying over it. And then I turned up to his sermon two weeks ago, and he was talking about epiphany. I was like, what? What's epiphany? I was like, I've never heard of this. And he's like, it's in this calendar. And I'm like, what calendar? Because I never got that calendar for Christmas. The funny story was, is when I was texting Jacob, because then I was freaking out, not knowing what epiphany was, I tried to spell it. Now, if anyone's tried to spell epiphany before, it's quite difficult. I genuinely had no idea. I think I spelled it E-P-H-I-P-H-A-N-Y-I-N-G. And I looked at it and was like, ah, that looks right, Be fine. And he sent me back the correction and I went, ah, right, that's that. When he corrected my spelling, I recognized the word, but not from this biblical season, not from this time in this biblical calendar. I recognized it from movies. Now, I love movies, I absolutely love them. I love watching movies. I probably spend too much time watching movies. And my understanding for Epiphany was through movies. Some of the epiphanies, some examples I could think of was in Toy Story when Buzz Lightyear realized he wasn't the only space ranger. And it totally destroyed his world. Another example would be in The Lion King when he looks in the water and he sees Mufasa, and he realizes he's heir to throne. And that powerful scene of remembering who he really was. You've got the scene in Brother Bear, which I think is a criminally underrated movie. If you haven't watched it, I'm about to spoil it, so I apologise. In this scene, there's hunters and there's bears and he becomes a bear and then his brother or his friend's going to kill him and there's epiphany at the end. I won't totally ruin it for you. Um, I can't really remember how they're related, but I remember this really, really powerful epiphany scene at the end. Or... Another reference, probably a more inappropriate reference, would be from the Simpsons movie. Now, if you haven't seen it, don't watch it. It's not worth it. The epiphany scene isn't great either. I just remembered it. That was probably one of the first ones that came to my head. So evidently, I was intrigued by what Jacob was talking about by this season, by this time in the calendar, because I didn't know what it was. So let's have a think back to what the epiphany season has looked like so far. First, the first week of the Epiphany season we had the Magi and the Muggles, where Jesus talked, Where Jacob, sorry, where Jacob talked a lot about the season, why it was important who the Magi were, and then he talked about Harry Potter, and then I can't remember if the Muggles were Magi or we were magi. And he talked a lot about Harry Potter. I really remember that part. Um, and then last week we had our baptism service. Jacob took us through this, these ideas of water, littered through the Old and New Testament, through the flood narrative, and then we got to Jesus being baptized. We looked at the importance of that passage in that time and the importance of that passage today and why that was relevant for us. So, as we've went through those journeys, let's start our journey today by looking through this passage. Let's look where we've came from. This passage starts with John telling everyone and anyone who will listen about Jesus. Obviously, before this, as Jacob spoke about last week, we have our baptismal scene. Jesus has just been baptized, and it's a really, really powerful. And John's kind of reeling off this. He's kind of feeling it after this. He's just baptized the Messiah. He's like, pff, feeling big, feeling bold, feeling good. So he's telling everyone, this is the Lamb. He's telling everyone who's around, this is the Lamb, he says... Look, there is the Lamb of God who comes to take the sin of the world. Let's not brush over the importance of this. This is powerful. At this time, this would have been bold, potentially outlandish. This was a Jewish culture. This was talking about the fulfillment of the prophecy. John had no right to say this, regardless if it was true or not. To these people, John had no right. To say this. It was outlandish, it was bold, and people would have been upset. We don't hear about that, but people would have been upset with this. Now, to me, when I read it, the wording is very, very powerful. We have this idea of the Lamb of God coming to take the sins of the world. And it creates this like beautiful, vivid picture. We've got the lamb, which traditionally is a quite a weak animal, often led to slaughter, defenseless. We've got this sort of weak, weak animal, and then contrasted and put right next to a taking of all the sins of the world. This powerful statement, this cleansing element, something so weak, so vulnerable, as compared to something so powerful. This powerful statement puts such a vast contrast together, showing a changing of the tides. A change in that this man, Jesus, is coming to save the world, take the sins of the world through humility, through grace, through love. And then we get to the next day after John has told all these people about this, about the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. We get to the next day where John repeats himself, look, there is the Lamb of God. Now, when I first read this, I was sort of annoyed at John's disciples. John has raised these guys. John has taught them everything they know. They've probably spent most to all days together. They've traveled together. They've spent time together. Probably ate together. Let's look at a modern day example. That would be like me and Nick going out for a walk in Glasgow. And we see a pal from school, pal of mine, or a pal, pal of mine from uni. And I go, oh, there's my pal Tim, or there's my pal Stuart. I'm like, oh, he's such a great guy. Remember when he used to do that? And Nick's like, I met him, see I'm going to go be his pal. I'm like, we, we came into Glasgow together. You brought me in. You took the car. How am I going to get home? I'm going to have to pay for a taxi. I have to pay for the train. Like, I, I brought you here. We were pals. We were best mates. And now you just leave me for that other guy you don't even know? I would be hurt. Would anyone else? Anyone else feel that? No, just me? Perfect. I remember being slightly annoyed upon this, and I felt like John had just got the wrong end of the stick. It felt harsh. This just your pal. But however, when you really, really delve into this, it's not the same thing. It would be like me and Nick going out a walk, and I go, the first one, where he's going, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes all the sins, it'd be much more going, look, that's a cross, or look, there's a Morrison's up the road, or look, those chairs are red. It's much more an action of looking what it is, but not an action of doing, right? The second one is not the same. The second one is based around action. So when he says, look, there is the Lamb of God, he's saying, look and go and be with the Lamb of God. This second change shows the importance. John knows the importance of who Jesus was. He talks about it twice in a space of two days, John knows of the importance of what Jesus could do and he valued his disciples enough to send his disciples to go and be with Jesus. He valued them enough, he valued them as humans enough to go, I know my limitations, I know Jesus is better than me, go and be with him. And actually the humility of John there, knowing his limitations, is something to be admired, not annoyed about in my case. And then we have this sort of weird interaction. Every time I read it, I I get more and more confused to what's going on. Now, let's all imagine we're walking through Glasgow or the hometown where you live or a village that you love, right? You're walking potentially by yourself and then you feel like someone is following you. So you do the whole check behind your shoulder, Uh, probably nothing. You keep walking and you look behind your shoulder, do a double take. Still following me, ah, it's probably nothing. They do a triple take, ah, they're still so you start. You start stopping and you wonder if they stop. You're like, ah, and then you're walking and you go down different alleys, you go in different paths than you normally would to see if they're still following you. And you're like, This is so weird. Why are they following me? And eventually, you pluck up the courage to ask this person, or in this case, persons, there was multiple of them, Why are you following me? What do you want? And they go, eh, Where are you staying? No, no thank you, you're not taking me, you're not abducting me today, no thanks. Because I'm I'm being followed by multiple people and they ask me where I'm staying. No, 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 that's not for me. I'd be running the opposite way as fast as I could. There's no way I'm answering where where am I staying to people who are following me. Specifically a group. Is anyone else in the same boat with that? You're being followed by multiple people. They ask you where you're staying and you're not terrified. Just me. Jesus isn't like me. He doesn't see it this way. He responds with, come and see. How about you come and see? How about you come with me and I'll show you? The outlandishness of this is our understanding, epitomizes Jesus in this moment, a moment where we are scared or paranoid or fear, in a Scottish translation. Um, He is not, he does not feel that like we do. And then we have Andrew, who goes back with people, one of the disciples that goes back with people with with Jesus, and he sees where he's staying, he spends time with him. They spend the rest of the day together, as it says. He spends time in his presence. It's about four o'clock, so they probably ate together as well. They spent time together. He spent time in his presence. But it's not said about this interaction, but as we know, Andrew goes and finds his brother later and it has such an effect on him that he feels like he needs to bring others along. He feels like he needs to bring others along because of the impact this time has had on him. This is the epiphany of the passage. Earlier I made us do a game and I reckon a few of you have been wondering, wonder what that was all about. Jesus isn't just a teacher here. They call him rabbi, meaning teacher. They say, teacher, where are you going? And in religious context, in a Jewish context, what the teacher would do, being called teacher in a synagogue or temple, he would sit down and he would tell them the stories he would go through scrolls and he would communicate with them, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't sit down and tell them. He does something different. He says, how about you come to where I'm staying? That wasn't a normal thing in Jewish culture. He says, how about you come and see where I'm staying tonight and spend time with me and eat with me And I'll show you that I love you through communication, through compassion, through relationship. Jesus isn't trying to be like the other teachers. He isn't trying to be like the other rabbis. He's trying to be different. He's trying to be a different person. He's trying to be the revealer, the revelation. We talked about epiphany in the past two weeks as that, as the revelation. And that's what he's doing. He's revealing who he is through relationship with them. He's teaching them what it is like to be in relationship. The epiphany of this passage is Jesus. The epiphany of this passage is Jesus' interaction with the disciples. It's through relationship. It's through time. It's through love. It's through spending time together. And here, I'm I'm not saying Jesus wasn't a teacher. Like... Don't go and stone me outside because I'm a heretic. I'm not saying that. Of course he was a teacher. I'm not degrading that point. But what I'm saying is, Jesus didn't try teach in this moment. He was showing them something different. He was revealing to them that this is how it's going to go. This is the change. I'm trying to change something. They teach. This creates a hierarchy. This creates teacher and listener. Jesus doesn't do that. He takes them to his home. This is where he feels comfortable. He shows him love. He eats with them. He spends time with them. He's trying to reveal what it really looks like. Is that me? Yeah. Sorry. Um, Andrew didn't go to his brother after this to try teach him. He didn't go to his brother and find him and be like, yeah, this Jesus guy told me this and I'm going to now tell you this and then you're going to go tell that person this. That's not what he did. He went and got him. He went and went. You have to come and see this. You have to come and feel this because teaching can be important, but in this in this moment, revelation, revealing was more important. That's how he was going to get his message across: spending time with him, showing real, genuine love for others. In that moment, Jesus was the epiphany. Andrew knew it, so he had to get his brother. And as we look at our epiphany season, we've seen other epiphanies, but this epiphany, this is so important to remember that in this moment, Jesus was the epiphany. I've done it again. And now to finish, I want us to look at the last few verses of what I read. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Um... and the last to finish I want to draw attention to the last few verses of the passage in the last few verses it says Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus looking intently at Simon Jesus said your name is Simon son of John but you will be called Cephas which means Peter Andrew goes and gets his brother he spends time with him He goes, why don't you come and see this, Jesus? The guy that we see as Messiah, I've found him. You need to come and see this for yourself. I can't teach you this. You need to feel what it's like to be in his presence. And as soon as Simon walks in, Jesus looks intently at him. In other translations, it says he knew him when he walked in. In other translations, he looked at him with love. Jesus saw more in Simon in that moment, probably more than Simon has seen in himself in all the years he'd been alive. Jesus saw him, and he truly saw him. He saw him past the labels. He saw him past his name. The name was important. I'm not discrediting that, but he saw him past it. He really, really saw him. He saw him past his job title and how much money he had and where society put him. He saw him past all of that. He saw him past how even Simon probably saw himself. He saw him past all of it. He truly, truly saw him. Jesus gives him a new name Cephas, meaning Peter. He sees Peter, and that is important. He sees who he really is, he renames him because of that. How does that work for us? Anyone else feel that? How does this example work for us? Because Jesus really sees us too. He sees us past the labels we give ourselves. He sees us past what we tell ourselves. He sees us past our job title, how much money we've got, if we own property. He sees us past who we vote for, what football team we support. That may be a controversial one. He sees us past all of that. And he truly, truly sees us. Jesus sees us and calls us his brothers and sisters. That's how Jesus sees us. He doesn't see us with the labels we have gave ourselves. He sees us past all of it. He sees us and he truly sees us. Simon had a name, we have names. We have opinions of ourselves. We have how society sees us. We have how we want to see ourselves. And that might be important to us, but it's not important to Jesus. It doesn't matter to Jesus he doesn't care about all that he sees us so much deeper than we see ourselves Jesus sees you he sees who you wear he sees how you tell yourself who you are and he names you the love child of God he names you his brothers and sisters and it's important to remember that the epiphany in this so much so is that Jesus reveals himself that we can feel revealed to Jesus too Thank you.